Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Ministries Podcast. My name is Kevin Nunnery and I'm the high school pastor here at Brookwood. This message was recorded at one of the breakout sessions during our phase event. The purpose of this event is to recognize every life stage of your child's development is critical in their spiritual upbringing. During this podcast, Rob Dempsey will be discussing the impact of technology on the lives of students of all ages. Also on our podcast, you can find other breakout sessions from the Phase Conference that address topics such as sexual integrity and authentic faith. We get to talk about the wonderful world of technology and how that affects us and our parenting. I remember, now I know what, I never thought I'd get to the age where I say, I remember when, but it kind of happens to us, doesn't it? I see there's a few in this room that are just as dirt old as I am. <laughs> So you'll remember when technology wasn't really that much, when our phones were attached to a wall that had a cord on it. And instead of push buttons, there was this thing that was a dial that you would turn, and it would take forever if you had to dial the number nine to get finished with the number nine, because it was the last thing on this thing called the rotary phone. I remember that the technology of the telephone was so cool that when I was growing up, we had a party line. And a party line wasn't that you had a party on this line. It's that several people shared the same phone little circuit that was there. So when I was was a kid, I remember eight years old, I would pick up the telephone. And if I heard somebody on there, I'd hang it up with one hand and I'd unscrew the microphone part of it and disconnect it so I could sit there and listen in on their conversation. I thought that was so cool that you could hear somebody else talk. You have no idea who these people are. They don't necessarily have to be in your same neighborhood, but you know exactly what they're going through because you heard their thing on the party line, which was amazing. Technology for me when I was growing up as a kid was having the coolest skateboard in the neighborhood or a bicycle that had all these things. I remember when my bicycle graduated from a brake that you went bunk on your, on your pedals to stop yourself to up here on your handlebars. That was like, oh, this is cool. I can stop right here. And I would go as fast as I could. And if I hit the wrong brake, my bike would go boop, boom, and I'd get right on the ground because the back wheel went over the front wheel. I remember it was cool and you were somebody if you had this thing on your hip and it was called a pager. The pager would sit there and it would give you a telephone number and you would have to stop somewhere on the road and go to this thing that Superman used to go into called a telephone booth. And in this telephone booth, you'd look at your phone number that's on your little screen, you plop in your dime, that's how old I am, it graduated to a quarter before they did away with those things called telephone booths. I think there's some telephone booths still around and I think it's only at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, (laughs) D.C., And maybe a few that are still around in big cities. But you put your quarter in, you dial this number, and you would talk to your person because you were important, you had a pager. And then bad people got pagers, and that wasn't cool anymore. And then everybody had a pager, and that wasn't cool anymore. And then there was the cell phone. You made it in society if you had a cell phone. My very first cell phone that I had when I started working was this thing called a bag phone. That's as portable as they got if they weren't fixed in your car. The first cell phone I had was fixed in my car. I went there, I pick it up, I'm driving down the road. Sometimes I would just drive down the road and pretend I'm talking to somebody because I look pretty important. And then I would pray and I would pray out loud and I'd go, I'm kind of feel weird. I'm going to pick up my phone. I'm going to just pray talking on the phone because I'll look very important. But the bag phone revolutionized everything that I did because I could pick up this bag phone and it was about this big that tall. It looked like a tiny briefcase. There would be a phone on the inside of it. You can get this little antenna and you could stick it out a window if you wanted to, to get better cellular reception. I could never say the word cellular. Cellular reception and talk on this thing. And this is so cool. And then they graduated from the bag phone to this big honking thing that was this long and this big, and you'd carry this around. And some guys would just carry it in their hand or they'd have it in their briefcase. We've come a long way since those days, the good old days of growing up, the good old days that when you wanted to talk to somebody, you would actually talk to them in person. That just kind of doesn't happen anymore, does it? So how does this affect what we do as a parent? We're going to take a look at some of those things. Now, in your packet today, you received an incredible timeline that I hope that you'll take a look at, that you will go through those different phases of where you are. I think now, how many do have 
a baby to a first grader that's in this room? If we take a look at that. What about uh, in grade school? We've got a lot of grade schoolers that are here. There's some wonderful tools that we can look at on this timeline that's going to help you through those phases. Are there a lot of high schoolers that are in here as well? You're still in high school? God bless you. I wish I was in high school and do that whole thing all over again. So we got a lot of different phases that are in here, but we're going to talk in general topics today on how this affects all of us at the same time when it comes to this technology. So we'll go through this a little bit, but let's take a look at how technology is affecting us today. There has been a lot that has gone on. My clicker now decides not to work. It worked it in rehearsal. There we go. Okay, let me back up. Okay, so in the past 10 years alone, things have changed drastically. Once the iPhone hit and once these smartphones hit, technology just keeps booming and booming and booming. It seems like there's every year, there's the new thing that's coming out. There's the new Samsung that's coming out. There's the upgrade of the iPhone. Now we're up to seven. Eight's going to come out and it's going to be wicked cool and people are going to be getting this kind of technology. We are so super connected now in everything that we do. Chances are you're going to be on your phone before this session is even over. You're going to check a text. You're going to look at your social media. You're going to get bored. You go, I'm going to see what's going on on Instagram because that Dempsey guy is sure boring a snot out of me right now. We're connected with everything, with work, with school, with play, with social functions. Social media is huge. So let's take a look at America alone with who is in our population and what we're doing in our population when it comes to technology. You know, there's right now, this, is, this, what, this was done between 2015 and 2016. So we're taking a snapshot of that year. So there was 322.9 million people in the population of the United States alone. Active internet users, nearly 300 million. We're at 282 million people. Those are on social media is 192 million. I thought this was interesting when I took a look at the mobile connections and I went, wait a minute, mobile connections, there's 342 million mobile connections, but there's only 322 million people that live in the United States. Well, do you have an iPhone or a smartphone? Do you have a tablet? Do you have a computer that's mobile? That's what they're factoring in with the tablets and the cell phones. And those who have that, there's 169 million that are on social media. That is a lot of people. And you'll learn today that a lot of that is our kids and our teenagers. Here's the growth in that year alone. Since 2015 to January 2016, active internet users grew by 4%. That's a lot of millions of people that got on the internet. And that year alone, there's already a lot of people on the internet. Uh, active social media users grew by 3%. That still continues to rise in last year alone. Mobile subscriptions 4% in the growth, and the number of active social media users mobily on your cell phones, on your smartphones, went up by 6%. Do you see what had the most growth? Is social media? That is absolutely huge. Digital device ownership. Let's take a look at that in our population. Mobile types, 85% of the population is on a mobile thing. Your kids probably have one. I know mine do. Uh, the smartphone. 57%. Laptop computer. I got one right here. I'm one of them. 72%. If you have a tablet, 35%. Some kind of streaming device. In the year 2015 to 2016, the growth was not really snapshot, but that is huge now. I have a Roku device. Many people have an Apple TV. There's uh, Amazon that just came out. They have their own devices. The way that we watch television today has completely changed. When was the last time you were on, that, on Netflix? Probably yesterday. When was the last time you watched something on YouTube? It could have been today. It could have been this morning. It could have been before you even walked into church today. There are a lot of ways that we are now streaming television. It's completely changed. I don't watch t TV live anymore. Does anybody do that? I'm either hitting it on the DVR, and that's old school, or I'm looking at it on an app, on a streaming device like Roku or Apple TV. It's completely changed. Handheld gaming de devices. There's only 10% of people that are on that anymore. Why is that? Well, I can get a game on my cell phone now. A lot of people are doing it. Kids are all over the games. Remember last year when Pokemon Go came out? 
I still don't get that thing. <laughs> Pokemon Go. I remember being downtown, it was July, and downtown was filled with people like this playing Pokemon Go. Did you see that? It was like zombies walking around all over the place, and then they're going like this, and then there's this. They're tapping the thing because they're trying to get more balls so that they can do more things on their Pokemon Go. My kid was nuts over that. We're like, okay, we've got to limit Pokemon Go because even though you're walking, which is really cool, we need to walk, and that's what they were boasting Pokemon Go was doing for people around the world. I think they logged over 300 billion steps in the world last year of people who had Pokemon Go and walked. That's a lot of people walking because of Pokemon Go. Does anybody play that in here? God bless you. That's so cool. You still play it? You're up in all those, those gyms and all that other stuff? That's kind of cool. Okay, e-reader devices. There's only 12%. I mean, that used to be a cool thing to have a, oh, what was it called? What kind of reader was it? The Kindle readers. It was cool to have that. Now those things are going by the wayside. And the wearable technology. I've got one right here. I had to disconnect it. You know what this does to me? This is a Garmin smartwatch. I don't have an Apple watch. I, I like to get into sports, and so I run and I cycle and do all that stuff. So that's what this smartwatch primarily does. But every time an instant notification goes off on my phone, you know the thing I do? It buzzes on my wrist, and I go like this. And I tell you, if I'm at a lunch meeting or I'm with a group of people, they go, oh, do you have to go? Because you know what they're, they think I'm doing? I'm like, I'm bored of the conversation. It's 1026, I want to get out of here. No, the thing got my attention because there's breaking news that uh, Seth Curry just made this big basket. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm looking at a text that just came through. My wife wants me to pick up milk on the way home. I better do it and get home like now. So these wearable technologies are growing. How much, who has one? On their wrist. See, it's still a growing thing. There's a few of us in here. But you're going to see by next year and the year after that that this is growing and some of our kids are getting it because it's the cool thing right now. We're spending a lot of hours in front of a screen because technology has grown more than just a computer, more than just uh, GPS. It's all this screen time. You already had some of your screen time today. Four uh, hours and 15 minutes, we're sitting on the internet or on a tablet in front of a screen and watching something in front of a screen. That's a lot of hours out of our day. I mean, the average workday is what, eight hours? And we're spending all that time in front of that? The average daily use on the internet just through a mobile phone, it's, a, it's an hour, it's almost two hours long that we're sitting in front of our phone throughout the day. I mean, just think about it. How many times are you checking your cell phone to see what kind of thing just came across your Facebook or your Instagram? And our kids are all over Snapchat. We're going to talk about Snapchat coming up a little bit later. Social media, just about the same as we're looking on the internet, an hour and 43 minutes. And we're watching a lot of TV, which is three hours and 18 minutes. Notice that we're not in front of the television as much as we're in front of our tablet or our computer. All of our screen time is somewhere else. Some people have their computer connected up to their television now. And we've got bigger screens in my office uh, where I serve in ministry, my computer is on a big TV screen. I sit in, a, in an easy chair far away. I don't even have the traditional office or desk in it because I like to be really creative. Um, how many active users do we have on just the internet alone in our country? There's 182 million people. That's 87% of the population of the United States alone. That's just on the internet that is looking at the technology that's in front of us. Mobile phone users on the internet, that's 178 million. That's 55% of the population that's on the internet. How many times are we on this thing that we call our cell phone, our mobile devices on the internet? 79% are on the internet every single day. We live by this thing. We're on this thing. If you're looking for an answer to something, what's the first thing you do? You Google the thing. Everybody's Googling it. It's like we don't need a brain anymore. Our brain is in our phone. You know, if you, it, there's not all this knowledge that's all of a sudden stored here because what do we do? If we have a question, we need an answer. Instead of learning it and inputting it and keeping it here in our brain cells somewhere, we're going, oh, I can Google that and find the answer right now. And now there's fake news. So can we really trust it anymore? 
<laughs> Sometimes we take it as gospel truth. Uh, how many people use the internet just once a week? Only 14% of the population. Once a month, 6% of the population. And once per month, 1% of the population. I can most guarantee you that people have 1% of the time where they're just like less than once a month, have a, more of a life than us who check the internet every day. Because they're probably getting out there and they're being social and it's not just elderly people. There are people that just want to be off the grid and just experience life. And they have such a great life because of that. Let's take a look at the web traffic. Uh, does anybody know what a page view is? This basically will tell you the population on how much time we spend when we go to a website and we start clicking on the different things that are on the website. Those are page views. So if you go to like USA Today and you want to read about this one story about, uh, oh, the, uh, <laughs> have you seen the inaugurational bad lip reading thing on YouTube? That would be a page view. If you go to USA Today and that's a story and you click on that story and you open that thing up, that's a page view. That's basically what that is. So we're spending a lot of time on page views. So when we're on our laptops or our desktops, we're going to go 65%. Um, we're spending on page view. Mobile phones is 27%. There's a decline in, uh, and notice there's a decline on how much page views there are on laptops and how mobile phones, it's gone up by 7%. While it looks like a low number, it's going up because more and more people have the technology in their hand. I mean, you literally have a computer in your hand that you can bring everywhere in your pocket. Uh, page views on tablets are not that high, and I'm sorry if there is anybody who is a gamer in here. Your technology seems to be going away quickly because look at that. We're down less than 0.18%, at least viewing the Internet through their gaming device. This is so shocking to me when it comes to top social media platforms and who, what age group is on the top media social platforms. And you'll notice quickly, it affects parents. It affects us completely. There's so much that's there. There's Tumblr, there's Instagram, there's YouTube, there's Pinterest, there's Google+, Plus, which I never am on, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, there's Kick, there's WebChat, there's Line, there's the Facebook Messenger that's different than Facebook itself. There's Viper, there's the WhatsApp, there's Skype, there is... Uh, Whatever that is, I don't even know how to pronounce kakayu. But take a look at that. You'll see that 16 to 24, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, and on up to 64, there's different age brackets that's there. Take a look at the percentage of those who are on the social platforms the most. It's our teenagers first, 16 to 24, followed by the 25 to 34, and it gets less right there. And you'll see that on Tumblr, there's 39% of those who are on Tumblr, they're 16 to 24. That affects parents and soon to be the teenage parents getting into those influential years. Instagram, there's a huge percentage. YouTube, there's a huge percentage. Um, you notice Pinterest, I think that's more for the ladies than anything else. Snapchat, take a look how huge that is for the younger people starting in your mid-teens. 57% Snapchat is huge. Do you know anybody who's on Kick? My 15-year-old is. WebChat Kick is uh, just a messenger. It's another type of texting. On Kick it can, and on Snapchat it can. Um, I don't even know what line is, but I better get to know what line is. I've never heard of Viper. I have WhatsApp. A lot of people are on Skype, but if you have, uh, if you have an iPhone, FaceTime trumps the Skype. And then there's that, does anybody know that Kakoa? No, neither do I, but maybe we should since there's 27% of our kids that are on it and young adults that are on that. Take a look at what this is doing to even our younger population of social media. Teenage Brain, a mystery that has confounded parents for generations. Everyone wants to know what exactly is going on in those heads. Researcher Yalda Ulz had the same question, but fast forward to 2014 and she's using social media to try to tap into what they're thinking. I want you to write down on your boards what is an important value to you for your future. She went one-on-one -on -one with teenagers in Los Angeles trying to unlock that mystery. What's important to them? What are their priorities? What do they want? 
turn over your board and show us what it is. It used to be teenagers' number one priority was to be part of the crowd, part of the community. Now, it's money. And that four-letter word, fame. Chelsea Trotty is 10, and what rocks her world is this. Making small films and waiting for the likes from her social media friends. It's all about the likes. Well, it feels really good to know that people appreciate my work because I put a lot of work into the stuff. And so and when they don't like it, I kind of feel bad. <laughs> What's it like to be you and famous? Well, it's like everyone rushes up to you, oh my gosh. And, you know, it would just be really cool. <laughs> so they'd all pay attention to you. Yeah. How much difference with these grade six kids in Canada? Okay, let's see hands up for iPads and iPods. Who does texting? We all have like Instagram. 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 Oh, yeah. Instagram. Okay. On Instagram, people can comment like on your photos, like, oh, you look really pretty and stuff like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. These kids love their likes too. Gives you a good feeling when someone likes the picture. I like it when people like my pictures and it makes me feel really good. Mm -hmm. Ah, but what about fame? It would be awesome. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, I'm everybody famous. would know your name and stuff. Everyone would just be all over you asking yeah. for your autograph. That's really That's hard. That's a hard question. Because, yeah. like, like, who doesn't want to be famous? So why the change in values? Researcher Yalda Uhl's mother of two teenagers says it's no wonder, it's all around them. Television had been around, you know, forever. It's been around since the 50s, but the major change was social media. And these kids at this very young age were aware of it, and they were using it. And on top of it, the reason we think that the television shows were now communicating this concept of fame to these kids, they were just reflecting what these kids already were doing. The show she grew up with, remember the Andy Griffith show, Happy Days, I Love Lucy, Laverne and Shirley? They had a whole different set of values, family values, a sense of community. Not anymore. She started comparing them to the shows her kids were watching. This one, Hannah Montana, about a teenager by day, famous rock star by night. And then, the mother of all shows about the pursuit of fame, American Idol. And we looked to see what were the values that were communicated in these shows. Um, and what we found was that the number one value um, in those shows, out of a list of 16 values, was fame. And what was very interesting is that in every other decade, it was number 15 or 16. Doesn't Richard look nice tonight? That warm and fuzzy community feeling, gone. So it's a complete flip. Complete flip. And that's not all. The online world today's teenagers are living in may bring them the fame and fortune they crave, but it can also bring heartbreak and bullying. Amanda Todd, Retea Parsons, Jamie Hubley, the list of victims grows. The dark side of the wired world. But neuroscientists in BC may have found answers in science. When you're engaged with your phone or something external, these areas that are involved in daydreaming and thinking about your own thoughts and feelings shut off. The answers may be in the brain. See that blue area of the brain? That's the area that learns empathy. What they found is that those areas that learn empathy are only active when you do nothing, when you daydream. And that's something today's teenagers don't do. Kids are constantly engaged with their technology, their phones and the internet. They're not activating these brain areas that are important for self-reflection and reflecting on other people and allowing that empathy to emerge. Do you guys daydream? Do you ever just kind of watch the clouds go by and yeah. not think yeah. about anything yeah. in particular? Yeah. yeah. How much time do you think you spend doing that, daydreaming? Like 30 seconds a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm so busy most of the time with sports and organized activities yeah. that I, I'm always on the go. I don't have a lot of time. And if no daydreaming means no empathy, we could be developing a generation that cares less about other people. You're online and bullying, you don't get these cues that tell you, I need to inhibit this behavior that's having such a negative impact on another person. 
and therefore makes it very easy for bullying to continue. But what worries parents and experts alike is how these fundamental changes to the way teenagers' brains are wired is going to change the way they live in their wired world. Pauline Dakin, CBC News, Los Angeles. Our social media sure has changed a lot of things when it comes to how we're raising our kids and now how they are thinking because of it. Technology can be a beautiful thing. If we don't harness it, it's going to be a really tough thing to navigate through, especially if we ignore it. Let's just think about a car. I mean, when you think about you're putting your child into a huge three-ton piece of metal that can destroy people, we don't look at them at four years old and hand them the keys and say, have at it, enjoy, because it would be disastrous. But yet, when it comes to technology, we willingly just hand it to them. Most of society is doing that, and that can be really scary. It is so easy to Google a word and see bad things come up in front of you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember about uh, 10 years ago, there was a young lady that worked where I work, and she was sitting in front of her computer, and she was Googling an artist's name. And she Googled this artist's name, and it just turned out that this artist's name was also a name of a young lady that didn't wear too much and nothing. And when she pushed on that one thing, all of a sudden, the screen went pop, 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 pop. It wouldn't stop. It was right in front of everybody. She's like, no, no, no. Our kids have access to that. And even though there are some great tools for our younger kids that we can get that can block a lot of that stuff, and I'll share a couple of those with you in just a little bit, but when they get older, that stuff don't work anymore. And that's why we need to be so engaged and so into this timeline and responsibility that we are on top of it and we're with it and involved in it with our teenagers. You're taking a look at some of the pictures that are snapped on just a couple of the social media that outlets that are there that our kids are into. Number one, Snapchat. This is every second. 8,700, almost 8,800 pictures a second is posted in our country alone on Snapchat. You know what that is an hour? 300 million pictures an hour. I can't do the math on what that is in a 24-hour period. Half of that, 70 million, is on Instagram. Facebook, we're posting 4,500 pictures on Facebook. You may have done that this morning when you were coming into here saying, I'm at the phase conference, snap, or you checked in or did something like that. That is mind-boggling, and a lot of your kids and mine are doing this. My uh, 15-year-old is in Orlando, Florida this weekend. He's a part of the DECA Club, which is a marketing club uh, for high school students and college students. And so the school is there doing this conference. You know how many snaps Spencer, my 15-year-old, has been doing? He's snapping the whole time, especially when they're playing at Universal Studios, which is kind of cool, and I'm envious, and I kind of wish I was right there with him at Universal Studios. Here's our teens alone, social behavior on social media. 60% of our teens are, are, have shared pictures of themselves on social media. Selfie is the thing, man. People are doing selfies. You may have been doing selfies. I hate selfies because I look horrible in selfies. 85% of teens and young adults have used YouTube to watch videos. We mentioned that earlier. Everybody is watching YouTube. Google is the number one most searchable site when people are looking for something. The second, it's YouTube. If you're not on Google, you're on YouTube looking for it. And if you search it on, on Google, more than likely, a YouTube video popped up on your Google search on something that you were looking for. Our kids are there, man. 71% down at the bottom of teens use uh, more than one social media site. 92% of our teens report uh, going online daily. So they are there. They're there every single day. They're doing the selfies of themselves. They are living their life on social media. And you know what that does? That disconnects them from everything else. I mean, when was the last time that you've seen any of your kids go out with a group of kids in the neighborhood and play basketball like we used to when we were growing up or get in our bikes and go somewhere? That just doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. There are some suggestions or some things that happen, but not at all anymore. We're going to take a look. There's so many apps. There's so many social media uh, sites that are there. 
but there's a couple to take a look at that your kids are on right now. Three years from now, that's gonna change. You know that's gonna change, and Marco Polo may change that. It's at least something to keep on the radar. But this technology and social media called Snapchat, we should really look at and engage when it comes to our kids. Snapchat, if you don't know, and if you don't get it, and I'm starting to get it, but yet not get it, it's, it's photo messaging, basically, is what it is. There's so much that you can do. You can put, there's a time limit that's, uh, that you send a picture. So when you send a picture, somebody said earlier that it disappears. It goes away after 10 seconds, or you can replay it and see it again at least once. Or if you make an in-app purchase, you can see it again. But there's not that much time, and supposedly it goes away. But really, you can take a screenshot of that thing. No problem. The cool thing about Snapchat, at least it tells you somebody took a screenshot of it. So our kids have to watch. By tapping and holding their own image on a selfie, there's these little selfie things now. If you have Snapchat, there are these things called filters. And so these kids, and me, will take a selfie picture of themselves, and then you slide it over, and when you hold on that picture on your phone of just your face, these things come up. And so if you've seen, like, on your Facebook page, a picture of somebody that looks like they have dog ears coming out with a nose or something like that, that's a Snapchat filter. And there's a bunch of those that are on Snapchat. Facial recognition, all that software that's available on that. The app uh, has gained a ton of reputation in the beginning because of sexting, and you already know what that is. I don't have to explain that in detail. Uh, and because the pictures supposedly disappear after so many seconds, it was very popular, especially with our younger generation. There's outgoing, incoming messages, videos, text. They're not stored on the devices. We talked about that. So what can we do as parents and as a family when it comes to Snapchat? Because it's going to be reality. You can say, delete that off your phone, but you know what they're going to do? They're going to put it right back on their phone. It's really hard to police that. So you have to engage in conversation. Some of the things that we talk about and the responsibility in this timeline that is here. And do that early on in the phases, you'll see that birth all the way up to the teenage years, having a conversation is a core thing of what you're doing. So have a conversation. Long-term effects of sharing uh, what are assumed to be private moments through the apps like Snapchat. Because as we mentioned earlier, does it really disappear if you can do a screenshot of that? And if your teenager takes a picture of themselves in a way you don't want them to take a picture of themselves and sends it off to one of their friends, because most of Snapchat is not shared publicly in my story, these kids are just doing it privately back and forth. We don't even know what they're saying to each other because it's only to themselves. And they have these things called streak on Snapchat. And the streaks are how many times in a row or how many days can we keep this streak going? I'm up to 180 with my son, Spencer. So we've got a streak going every day. And I love that because there's a connection. There's a bond. At least he's thinking about dad and mom when he's going, okay, I've got to keep my streak going with dad. Click and take some random picture of random anything to keep that streak going. So those private moments aren't really private. You already know that. It's not rocket science, but we've got to remind ourselves of that thing. We can also remind our kids that nothing, once it's posted on the internet, really ever goes away. It can come back to haunt them. Remember Paula Dean? Paula Dean said a word that she shouldn't have said decades ago, but yet it destroyed her career for a short time. That was just a word that she said, and it came back. Can you just imagine, all of a sudden, 10 years from now, a picture surfaces of one of our kids, and it's not a picture that they wanted out or that, of course, you didn't want out. It never disappears. It's there. I know we can talk about this till we're blue in the face, but we've got to keep this going. Now, here's an icon that you'll start seeing, and it's called Marco Polo. We think of it in a pool. This is now an app, and it's very similar to like mixing FaceTime and Skype with Snapchat, in a sense. On FaceTime and Skype, you know how to use that. You, you just go on FaceTime, you go, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? You're talking to a friend, to a loved one. It's instant communication that's live. That's the same with Skype. With Marco Polo, the walkie-talkie app, it's now messaging that you can do with this technology either in real time or a delay. And so you can pick it up and you can take a look at the screen and go, hey, how you doing? I hope you're having a great day. Do you want to meet over at Starbucks for coffee? And if you're not talking to them live, you just click a button and then they reply later. 
So you're messaging back and forth. The same thing that you can do with, uh, with the Marco Polo app, they're trying to keep up with Snapchat, so they've got the filters, and so they're trying to make it dynamic. Is this gonna be something that takes off? Maybe. We don't know just yet, but it's something to keep on the radar because there's so much social media that is out there with the technologies that we have in our hands. So some of the things that you talk about, at least with Marco Polo, you can talk about what's appropriate to share using Marco Polo video, the walkie-talkie. Even with friends, what's fun, what's interesting to say, create a dialogue between you and your child or you and your grandchild if you're you're a second-time parent. Talk about the advantages of actually being in person, one-on-one communication, because does that even happen anymore? Do we really go with a group of friends? You know, it used to be that the average person would have at least five to six people that was in their core circle. And personal interaction, one-on-one, where you're getting together with them all the time. When was the last time you got together with a friend that you're just a Facebook friend with? It's been a long time, but yet we interact on social media. Just think if that's happening to us, how disconnected this generation that's coming up is and how we have the opportunity now to help them navigate through that. So take advantage of the uh, communication uh, versus text and video clips on what these apps that are allowing. Discuss using this type of app in balance with other forms of communication and other activities and what your family limits are on device use. Because I'm telling you, there has to be a limit. We're going to talk about a plan that you can put together coming up in just a little bit on what to do as a family and even having a no device zone and where there's no devices, it's not there, period. Half of our teens say they feel that they're addicted to their devices. They're saying that they are addicted to their devices. Research is still emerging about this. Technology, if addiction is a real thing when it comes to their device, but a lot of people say, I'm addicted to my thing. They haven't made a term or name for it yet on what this technology addiction is. Half of all teens reported feeling addicted to their mobile devices. You have a mobile device. I'm going to take for granted everybody in this room has a mobile device. Who brought their charger with them? Quite a few brought their charger with them because you know that your phone is going to die and you can't live without your phone, and so you've got to plug in your phone. My kids and my kids' friends carry their charger with them wherever they go. If they're over at my house, uh, and I'm, I'm very blessed, my teenager has some good friendships within our neighborhood. So I have like four to five teenagers in my house every day after school, and every one of them will go like this, and take out that big long wire and plug it into the uh, wall because they don't want their smartphone to die. They're so connected to them. They're on it constantly. 28% said they say their parents are addicted. They notice us on our phones all the time. You can be at the rare occasion at your dinner table, and if you get a notification on your phone, you're gonna pick it up when it should be family time, right? How many times has that happened at the restaurant? How many times has it happened if you ever go to a movie anymore? It happens, we're so addicted to these things. I am, I'll do it myself. I had to undo my Bluetooth from my phone because I know if this thing buzzed, I'm gonna be looking at it while we're talking and having our conversation. 77% of parents feel that their teens get distracted by their devices and don't pay attention when parent and child are together. And so here we are in these valuable moments, and you'll notice that as your child grows up, the window of opportunity to connect with them gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I still have an eight-year-old in the house, and I have a 15-year-old in the house. My 30-year-old and my 22-year-old have already flew the coop Yes, you can tell I'm really old, and I think we're still due another young one because I got an eight-year-old, and if you do the math, I got a 15-year-old, eight-year-old. We need a newborn in the house. In your 50s, I don't think you should do that, but so we don't pay attention in the window of opportunity. So when they're a teenager, you're like so wanting to have those moments again. And if there is an opportunity for a moment, if we're sitting just like this, they know it, they see it, they recognize it. Our kids are saying that about parents. 44% of teens feel the same way about their parents. So we're going to take a look at some statistics here. Um, 
And this is where they came from. This data was collected from global populations. So this is now a world snapshot that we're taking a look at here. Uh, United States, the most frequently uh, cited in the study that we're looking at, uh, and in China, the second most frequently cited in here in the literature that was all compiled uh, by Common Sense Media. Uh, we're going to take a look at the behavioral uh, and technology addictions that they have, um, the observation, the experiments that's going on, media use, habits, time spent with and frequency and engaging with the media, family, how we're going to approach this and have some kind of management of this because we've got to harness this thing while we can and be aware of that. The prevalence of attitudes toward and impacts of media and multitasking because now we're multitasking in conversations. You know, here I am with a clicker going through this thing. I've got a computer that's open right here. I've got my cell phone that's right here. I've got my Bluetooth in case I need to talk to somebody and I don't want to hold the phone up here because this is not cool anymore. You can walk around and act like you're talking to people and that you're important. You know what I mean? There's just so much. So we're in a multitasking thing that's going on. Thanks to the remote control back in the 60s and 70s that made us sit here and go multitask like this. Now it's gotten to the extreme. Uh, Developmental implications of media use in our technology, particularly with respect of empathy and social well-being, because our social well-being doesn't seem like we're interacting anymore with each other, and our kids are growing up in that, and we are leading the way, and if we are leading the way and we are doing this as parents, just think of what our kids are doing, because they're amped up even more. And some strategies on the problematic uh, media use and what we're doing with the technology of this media that is in front of us. Take a look at some of these stats. I don't know if you can read that so well. Is it causing family conflicts? The answer is, yeah, it's really involving family conflicts. Teens and parents say they argue about device use. You've probably seen that in your own home. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, parents and teens are talking about this less than daily and never daily. You'll notice that right in the middle, less than daily, parents and teens are arguing about it. It's pretty high in the percentage of 43% with parents and teens at 38%. At least a few times a week, parents feel their teens get distracted by their devices and don't pay attention uh, when they are together. 70% of teens uh, our parents say that, and 41% of teens feel their parents get distracted by devices and don't pay attention when they are together. So we are allowing technology to get in the way, and our kids are seeing this. And we see this in the opposite effect. I mean, how many times are we wanting to connect with our kid, and they might have something in front of them? They're watching YouTube. They're playing a game on the phone. They're doing Pokemon Go and driving you crazy because I can't take that sound anymore from that cell phone with Pokemon Go. The vast majority of families say devices aren't hurting parenting team relationships. 85% of parents feel teens use a mobile device uh, has made no difference. And 89% of the teens feel their parents' use of a mobile device aren't making any difference. But yet, it is making some kind of a difference because they said so. Can you click to the next one for me? Oh. I'm, I'm looking at two different things here. I'm thinking my screen is going to click. Okay, see, I'm not a good multitasker. Are we addicted? Well, parents say 59% of parents feel that their teens are addicted to mobile devices. And our teens say, yeah, we feel that we're addicted to our mobile devices. They already know that. 29% of parents feel that they're addicted to their mobile devices. And 28% of teens feel their parents are addicted to these mobile devices. 48% of parents and 72% of teens feel the need to immediately respond to texts, social networking messages, and any other kind of notifications, which I think is probably a problem. And I think you know that as well. Because how many times, and maybe even this happened in this room right now, where your phone went off and you immediately went poof, and, you're, and what we're talking about and what you're talking about with your kids immediately gets distracted because somebody just posted a picture on Instagram and you gotta take a look at it. Or your work tried to get a text through to you and you have to immediately take care of that. Man, 20 years ago, we didn't have to worry about that. If your boss had something that they needed you to do, we had to wait to the next day to make that an order of business. But now it's instant. It's something that we have to do now, and that is creating a lot of stuff, especially we're trying to navigate through this technology and just raising our kids. 
69% of parents and 78% of teens check their devices at least once an hour. But how many times have you checked it more than once an hour? 66% of parents feel their teens spend way too much time on their mobile devices. Our kids are agreeing with them and us. Yeah, you sure do. You notice where they are? They're eating dinner or lunch or breakfast or something like that. And every, does this kind of mimic what you see at your table from time to time? Where at least one person has the screen in front of them? This used to be my living room. We'd all be in the living room and we're all sitting there looking at our iPhone or have a tablet or, we've, or we're on a laptop computer. We have to change that. I've taken some steps to change that in my home. We're not perfect yet. And here is a dangerous one because you can, I think everybody in this room, unless you are just the perfect saint, have checked their phone when they're in the car and have checked your phone even while your car is moving and you're behind the wheel. It happens. And our kids are noticing that. 58% of parents admit they do check their mobile devices while they're driving. 51% of our teens see that we're checking our mobile devices. That day that your kid is in the car and they drive off by themselves, what do you think they're going to do? You can tell them no. You can tell them don't you dare, but mom and dad do it. It's not going to hurt. I'm going to be okay. And they're going to wind up in a tree somewhere. I know that's extreme. There are tools that you can actually get that can block their phone from going on. But we also have to remember this. If we're trying to get a hold of our teenager and they're in the car driving somewhere, and if they're not answering a text immediately, they could be driving. I've got to remind myself of that constantly because Spencer's going to be 16 in July and I don't want him texting when he's driving. And he used to see me do that a year and a half ago. And I'm thinking, this is such a poor example of what I want Spencer to do when he starts driving. So I've got to stop it. Now I have talk to text in the car, which can be almost just as dangerous, but you're, at least you're not, you're not hands-on anymore and looking down here while you're doing this and all of a sudden you pile up into a bumper in front of you at a stoplight and go, whoops, I shouldn't have done that. They're going to mimic. So if we lead by example, what are we going to do? I saw that AT&T has an app that works on at least the, uh, the Androids that you can have on a phone, and while you're driving, your phone disconnects, and if somebody texts you, it will say, this is an auto-reply, I'm driving, I'll respond to your text later. Verizon has something like that as well. What's different about the Verizon app that does that is that it disconnects at least your iPhone. I have the iPhone, and I downloaded it. It disconnects your iPhone from messaging, and so you don't have all those bells and whistles from messaging anymore that connects all of your iPhone devices, but it's there and it's available. iPhone doesn't have the ability while you're driving down the road to tell people, I'm driving down the road, I'm not gonna text you back right now because we're in such an instant society that people expect an answer now. When was the last time you were worried that somebody didn't respond to you immediately within at least two minutes and then you're worried if they like you anymore? You know, that all of a sudden that does that. And, and now, you know what I hate? Is now I have to put an emoji after everything. If I don't put a smiley face emoji after something, my wife thinks I'm mad on how I respond. What is this emoji thing? Now you've got to respond with emojis. 66% of parents say teens uh, say mobile devices are not allowed at the dinner table. And, and while they're not allowed at the dinner table, rules are broken, right? And they see that. You'll see the highest percentage of teens say that uh, they're more likely to break the rule, and we are breaking the rule as well if we have made that a no-zone for mobile devices. We started a year ago of putting our mobile devices far from the table so that we don't have it with us. And now that I have this silly smartwatch on, this Garmin thing, I have to disconnect my Bluetooth from it so that it doesn't buzz and I do this. And I, then I'm distracted from the conversation that's at the table. We started doing family dinner at least five times a week at our house, and it has changed the way that we communicate with each other. Just one thing for 30 minutes has changed a lot in the communication, and that is absolutely amazing. Take a look at this. We'll a need real eye-opening video that's gone viral. It's about the dangers of social media. You've heard about it before, but this time it's a little different. 
One guy decided to do an experiment after his father saved his daughter from a predator in California last month. And he would not believe how easily children agreed to be his friend and even meet him. This is YouTuber Kobe Person. He's 21 and he's known for doing prank videos and social experiments. Well, his latest stunt is really an eye-opener. Person made a fake Facebook page posing as a 15-year-old boy, Jason. Well, he friend-requested three girls, ages 14, 13, and even 12. He talked to the girls for less than a week and then asked them to meet. Their parents were all in on the experiment. The first girl Kobe goes to meet is named Michaela. She's 13, and she believes she's been talking to Jason for four days. She agreed to meet him at a nearby park. So I just got a text. My parents just left. I can be at the park in 10 minutes. From Facebook. Do you remember? Michaela, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Sorry. He could have been a rapist. He could have been a pedophile. Why would you do this? You shouldn't talk to strangers, especially online. Like, I wasn't even the, do I look the same as my picture? Yeah. We have to talk. Next, person talks to 12-year-old Juliana. She invites him over to hang out when her father falls asleep. What she doesn't know is that her dad is in the car, hoping she doesn't come to the door. I don't think she's going to open the door. Juliana, get over here. Get over here. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I'm sorry. How can you do this? You're 12 years old. This guy's 20 years old. You could have been raped and murdered. We already lost your mother. What would I do if anything happened to you? What would I do if anything happened to you? I love you. Don't you ever do this again. Lastly, person talks to 14-year-old Jenna. They talked online through text messaging and even over the phone. She agrees to meet at her house in his van when she thinks her parents are gone for the night. Person tells her his older brother will be driving and he'll be in the back. What she doesn't know is that her parents are in the back of the van waiting for her. Do you think she's going to go through with this? No way. Absolutely not. I don't even believe it's her. <laughs> Jenna, stop. It's your mother or father. Jenna, look, turn around. What would have happened if you came out and it wasn't us sitting back here and there were really crazy people back here. We never would have saw you again. We've, we've looked at newspaper articles and the news about all these things are real life situations that have happened. And we've discussed them. What, do you think it's fine to go try that on your own? Kind of scary when you take a look at that. And there's one thing that each of us have in common with the parents that are on the screen is the fact that my kid's not gonna do that. And yet they did, and they're 12. They're 12 years old. I had a 12-year-old girl at one time. That would have shocked me, too. There's no way she would do that. Until, and she's going to hit me if she ever heard me say this, I was up one night at 2 in the morning because I couldn't sleep. I get up really early, and I heard my backsliding glass door go. I thought somebody was breaking into the house. I went over there to co-cock them in the jaw, and there was my daughter. I went, no way. No way. You snuck out of the house? My voice escalated. Yours would too, wouldn't it? We had to talk it through. I had a great meeting with her uh, then-boyfriend and her dad. Whew, I liked that meeting. That was fun. So now we got to create a plan. We have to do something so that we can connect with our kids and make some limitations and connect with them in such a weird way. Have a healthy media diet that balances three things. What are kids doing? how much time that they actually are spending on it. Yes, go ahead and do that. I know one family uh, of a teenager that's in Crave that takes the phone away, they're 16 years old, at 10 o'clock. They don't get it back until they wake up. So at 10 o'clock, that teenager is not texting, they're not snapping, they're not doing anything because mom and dad has that phone in their bedroom. So make some limitations on it. And may I say this, and I don't have this on any slide, I have the password of everything that Spencer is on, my 15-year-old. And with him present and on my phone, I will do some checks on what's going on with his social media and who he's interacting with. One day, we had some kids that were over, and there was a friend of his that came home uh, from Charlotte to spend the night. And I did, a, I, did a, I did a test 
And while they were upstairs, I went, huh, I just wonder what's going on with his kick today. And I opened up, I grabbed his phone. I'm sorry, I was not on my phone, it was on his phone. I grabbed Spencer's phone, I looked on his phone, and I started reading this stuff, and I went, uh-uh, no way. You're not sending this to this girl, she's not sending this to you, you are not saying these perverted things to this young lady. And I went and I pulled Spencer out of that room, and we went down, we had a conversation. He said, Dad, wait. Look, it was another kid who was on my kid's phone who did this. And then we had the responsibility to tell that boy's parents on what was going on. And it was, it was eye-opening. No, and you are the parent. You have every right to have every single one of their passwords. And if you don't have their password and they won't give it to you, well, then delete that thing and ban them from it. You are the parent. And while you want to be a good friend to them, you are the one that's navigating this whole thing with them. Whether their content choices are age appropriate because we've got different levels, different ages that are in here, different ways that they're going to use technology. So make sure that you know every rating that is there because every app has a rating and there's blood and gore on some games and then there's sensual stuff on other games and what is it that you want your children to be a part of? And as we talked about earlier, leading by example. Mixing media and tech time with other activities. What are some things that you can do as a, as a healthy medium? What can you do to go and create uh, a time at the park with them or go on a camping trip or do some kind of family outing and, and ban the phones from that as well and the technology where it's just you? Declare a tech-free zone. It can be your dinner table. It can be anything. No texting after nine o'clock. I told you about that family that takes the phone away at 10 o'clock. You live by that as well. I don't know if you sleep, this sounds weird, with your smartphone by you because you're using it as your alarm clock. I can't do that on a personal level because I know all night long, if I roll over and I wake up, I'm going to look at that silly thing. Our kids are doing the same thing. I have, I'm in a two-story house and I keep my phone downstairs. And when it's time to go to bed, I'm away from it. We have those limitations that are in their house. Check the ratings. We talked about that because every app, everything has a rating and know what your kids are getting into and even what you're putting in front of your own eyes. And there's nothing that's any better than getting down and having a conversation about it. Not getting in front of them and uh, telling them how bad they are for using anything, but create a balance create a dialogue in what you're doing. Help your kids understand the effects of multitasking because we're in a multitask generation right now. There's someone who's taking a Snapchat picture of this. They're multitasking. There are, how many times are you on the computer, you're watching TV, and you've got your cell phone or your tablet in front of you? We're in a multitasking society, and sometimes that can just wig out your brain like you wouldn't believe. Walk the walk. Be the example. We talk about it with our faith, right? We talk about we've got to walk the walk of our faith all the time because people are watching us and what we do, our kids are watching this and they're seeing it on how we do technology. We talked about driving and texting and using our phones in the car. And when our kids are going to get in the car, they're going to do the same thing whether we tell them or not. And if you are seeing that there's any kind of thing that you can't tackle yourself, Seek the help of some kind of expert. Talk to the church. Talk to a small group leader. Talk to uh, the youth pastor. Seek out family people that know this. If you have to go as far as to, to talk to your pediatrician because they might be able to help, a social worker, a psychologist, anything, get advice because I don't know about you, but when I have a question, I just can't go to Google to find the answer. I need to talk to somebody who's lived this whole thing out. Those are some of the things that you can do. Take a look at this tool because it's an incredible tool that you can use. One thing that's here that I'll point out really quick, because even though we didn't talk about television, when they're this young on the timeline, zero to one and two to three, and I just dropped all my credit cards. And, and there's nothing on them. I'm limited out, so don't even try. Here's a couple of things that you can use, and this works for this phase. This won't affect this phase because they know around it. They're a whole lot smarter than you and I. Consumer, uh, there is Nanny 7. 
This is a nanny for your television that will help you with rating systems. You might get incredibly uh, perturbed with it because if you want to watch a movie like, uh, uh, I don't know, Terminator or something like that, where there's a bunch of guns and stuff, you're going to have to go, I got to navigate through this thing and get through that. You can do it. There's another one that's called Circle with Disney. It's $99 on Amazon. It's a great tool to have. There's even tools that are on Charter Spectrum and Dish and on, uh, what's the other one? Direct TV, where you can put limits and guidelines. And you know what? I found it helpful for me because I don't want to be scanning across the television screen and all of a sudden pictures come up that I don't want to come up and I don't want to land there and then start thinking the way that I'm not supposed to think. It helps me. It'll help you with your kids as well. So our time is up. It's 11.15. Thank you for coming to this session. I hope it's helpful because we definitely live in a technological age like never before. Have a great rest of the day. If you have any questions about this message, you can reach us at our email, students at brookwoodchurch.org. If you have children of other ages, be sure to listen to our other podcasts labeled with the corresponding age group. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.